You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church slash messages. Well, good morning. Or good morning. Hello, church. Good evening. This is our Saturday night service, and I want to welcome those of you who are online checking us out. Thank you so much for tuning into this service. God is so good, isn't he, guys? He, God is so good. Last weekend, I shared on a Sunday morning service how uh, we had someone show up, and they just poked their head inside, and they were on their way to the liquor store, and then they stopped, and then they came back to the front door, and they poked their head, and they said, can you pray for me? And we brought them in, and I, I, uh, I, I, I said, what can we pray for you about? And he said, my, my wife is dying of cancer, and my father is dying of cancer, and both of them are not expected to live more than two weeks. But he came, and we sat down, and it turned out we had a lot of mutual friends and pastor friends, and, and I told him, you know what? It was God's will for you to come here. It was God's will. Do you know God's in the business of saving souls? God's in the business of redeeming and restoring and renewing. He's still doing it. He's still in that business. So praise the Lord for that. So it's, it's, there's advantages to being right by a liquor store and Ace Hardware and all kinds of other stuff. It, it's good, you know, it's just good business for us, I guess. You know, that way. But um, hey, before we jump into the message, I need to share something with you. For the last two years, we have been looking for a worship leader. And Pastor Nick, our youth pastor, has been wearing two hats. He's been leading our, our students in, in worship ministry and incidentally pray for them. They're driving back right now as I speak from Divide, Colorado. There's about 30 students that went over there to a one-day camp. So keep them in prayer as they're driving on the road. But, um, but so he's been a worship, our, our student leader and also our worship leader um, for the last two years. He's been wearing two hats and he's been doing a great job. And I appreciate him so much. He's, he, he and the whole team, worship team's a, a great, great blessing. So I have learned so much about the worship ministry. Um, for those of you who've been in the church for more than 30 years, let me just tell you, it has changed. The worship ministry has changed. And, uh, uh, and it's just become very, very different. So I have talked to hundreds of worship leader candidates from literally across the United States. Um, I've talked to people who train worship leaders. We've talked to people to large churches. I've talked to representatives from all kinds of churches across the U.S. that you probably have heard of that run 20,000, 30,000. I've talked to worship leaders who coach them. I've talked to headhunters who hire worship leaders and match them up with churches that charge $15,000 for their services. I've talked to so many people about worship leading. So what we've been looking for is obviously, number one, is that they love Jesus, that's important. They got to love Jesus. It's got to be real. It's got to be authentic. And uh, the other things we look for related to gifts and talents and that kind of thing. So it has been a journey. It has been a journey. So for the last year or so, I've been talking to this young man that actually my son Josiah introduced us. He was going to school at Trevecca in Nashville, Tennessee. And he actually was, uh, uh, he's a young man who actually uh, made it to what's called the Trojan Idol, which is, is their version of American Idol on campus. And in Nashville, if you know anything about Nashville, everybody sings lights out and everybody can play the guitar. That's just the way it is in Nashville. It's just a lot of talent over there. So he was one of the finalists and, and turned out that he 
feels like God is calling him to be one day a worship pastor. That's his desire. So we are actually flying him in, and he is, he is, is looking at the position of worship leader, and we're going to come alongside him and see what the Lord does. But here he is. His name is Riley Anderson, and he uh, lives in northern Idaho. And he's going to be leading worship here next week, July 25, 26, and August 1 and 2. So I want to encourage you, let's fill this house up as, as much as we can. If you're watching online and you're able to come to church in person, we want to invite you to come to church in person. And let's have a great time of worship. So he's flying in. His flight comes in actually this coming Friday, and he'll be with us for about 10 days or so. And uh, we're going to have a chance to, to get to know him. But I can tell you, he loves God. And God has given him some very special natural gifts uh, related to, to his vocals and, and, and good things. So please just pray for this process. This is, uh, you know, anytime you look for someone, there's a lot of prayer involved and it's always uh, bathed in prayer. So just pray for this whole thing. And I'm, I'm excited about it. He has a wonderful, wonderful spirit, very teachable spirit. And we love that. He has a, a lot of humility. We love that as well. And, uh, and we'll see what the Lord does. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and your love. And, and now, Lord, we just humble ourselves. And by your grace, Lord, I, I just ask that you work in me and through me. Use me according to your spirit in, in Isaiah chapter 61. Anoint me and anoint this message, God. I thank you for your grace. Thank you for the forgiveness of my sins. Thank you, God, that you're the God of second chances and a million chances. I thank you, God. Thank you for the people that are here. Thank you for those who are watching online. I pray that you stir hearts, grab a hold of people, and uh, have your way. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. And the church said... It's incredibly powerful to be part of the church. You know that. You are part of the church, the body of Christ. Hey, today uh, I'm in this series called Out of Exile. This is part seven of eight. We're about to be wrapped up. But, but the title is Strength for the Exhausted. Anybody exhausted today? You're here at church. Just give me a heads up that you're going to be sleeping or something like that. One time on Sunday morning, I saw someone sleeping and I, I was taking a little offense to it because you might not know this, but I can see all of you really well. So I just want you to give you heads up. So this person was sleeping and I was like, oh, what's up with that? You know, I'm like, am I that bad of a communicator? And I had a little chip on my shoulder and I thought, you know, well, how would they feel if I'm in their presentation and or whatever in their business? And this is, you know, blah, blah, blah. So in my head and I talked to them and you know what I found out? They were working the night shift. And they had a whole one hour of rest from work to come to church. And then I felt really small and puny, and, and I thought it felt really bad about my, my, you know, what my assumptions. But all of us know what exhaustion feels like, and, and I, I came across this study. It was done by Lisa Sleep in uh, July 2020. So it's relatively relevant here. 2,000 people. 2,000 people were studied. And here's, here's the results. Uh, the coronavirus pandemic has many Americans saying they're more tired now than ever before. Would you agree with that? When you were at stay at home, was it just weird to stay at home? How many of you woke up later than normal or you did, you know, just, just kind of interrupted? Six in 10 Americans say their sleep routine during quarantine has them feeling more exhausted than they've ever felt in their life, 60%. Near 
Nearly 70% agree their sleeping habits have become quite inconsistent. 63% think their sleep schedules might be permanently ruined by the pandemic. 44% say they stay up later since they don't have to commute to work. Anyone there? 44% think that. And, and listen to this. Nearly half of respondents admit they get out of bed only 10 minutes before their remote workday starts. <laughs> you know who you are. You know who you are. Like, I got plenty of time. You're watching church in your pajamas and stuff like that. It, it, it's all good. It's all good. Um, you know, um, have you ever been tired? A few months ago, on April 20th, we celebrated 17 years as a church. And I was telling one of our, our worship leaders, Joe, here, I was telling him that, that, you know, we started in a living room. And when you start in a living room, it is literally brick by brick. And let me just tell you, it's exhausting. A lot of times people say, wow, Pastor Ruben, that's great. You've been there for a long time and you know, you've been so faithful. And I'm, I'm like, behind my mind, I'm thinking, you don't know the story. Brick by brick, being faithful, seeing people come and seeing people go. Brick by brick, being faithful, seeing people come and seeing people go. Brick by brick, seeing people and loving on people, pouring yourself into people, whatever it may be, just one step at a time, and it is exhausting. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the Lord. I wouldn't be here. But there are certain things in life that are just exhausting. Um, and so when I hear someone say, oh, that's great, 17 years, there's a part of me that's like, yeah, you don't know the story. And then there's another part of me that thinks I've pastored five churches and they're all called Thorn Creek Church because they all had different seasons. They all had different people along the way. And one minute we were in, you know, meeting in a, in a building, in an office space, and the next minute we're meeting at a school, and the next minute we're, we're meeting, in, we've been evicted like five times. Oh my, I was just reminiscing today about when we were just a year ago or so, we were meeting at a Prairie Hills Elementary School and there was no air conditioner. Remember that, those days? You can come to church and lose 10 pounds simultaneously. It was so hot in the month of July and August. Perseverance. Some of you know what I'm talking about when you say perseverance. Sticking with it. Being faithful to it. The Israelites were in a situation after exile that in, involved encouragement and involved strength. So I want to show you a timeline first to make sure we're all on the same page. I've been doing this every week so that we could know our Bible here. Um, this is a timeline of the Bible, and you can see it starts with creation, and, and, and we have our patriarchs and, and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and, and judges, and, and the kings, and eventually you get to that little suitcase there that says exile. And that was the time when the Israelites were living in Jerusalem, and they were exiled because of this King Nebuchadnezzar was involved and Babylon was involved and they were exiled for, how many years were they in exile? Anybody remember? 70 years. Look at you, you know your Bible. 70 years they're in exile. 70 years they're thinking, why did we do that? 70 years they're thinking we want to go home and they're in, in foreign land. And eventually God stirs the heart of this king named Cyrus. 
of Persia and God stirs the heart of King Cyrus and he meets God and you know, has a vision, whatever it was with an angel or with God. And he's told to let, Jeru- let, let the Jews go back to Israel, let them build their temple. So he releases them and he, he paves the way, like John the Baptist paves the way and says, go ahead, more, more like Pharaoh. But he goes back and they, they go back to Jerusalem and it's there in Jerusalem, they start rebuilding the temple. And the two big personalities there are Ezra, God uses Ezra to rebuild the temple and also there's a a personal spiritual reformation that happens with the people. They turn to God. And then the other guy that God uses is a guy named Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is responsible for building the city wall around Jerusalem. And it's a really important part of the whole thing because there's community and it also protects them from enemies and this kind of thing. So while they're there, while Nehemiah is there and he's swinging hammers, there's some personalities that emerge. It's Sanballat and his friends, and they're not friends of Nehemiah, they're not friends of the Jews, they are there to discourage Nehemiah and his soldiers. And in chapter four, we read this. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. He's getting a lot of threats from Sanballat. And verse 10 says, says, meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. That verse 10 says so much right there. So much work, so much rubble. It's too much. The strength of the laborers is giving out. They're running on fumes. They're running on fuse. You know, I look at this and my first thought is, how in the world did Nehemiah know the strength of the laborers was giving out? Maybe they were moving a little bit slower. You know, initially they had, you know, they were moving much quicker. Or maybe they started complaining and grumbling and saying, this is a lot of work. I didn't realize we signed up for this. It's so much work. Or maybe they're, you know, he saw them and they're thinking like, we've been here for hours and it looks like we haven't done anything. Have you ever had a project like that that you start and it's like bigger than you realize and you're like, what in the world did we get ourselves into? We're remodeling the whole house. We were just fixing a hole in the wall. What is happening here? You know, have you ever been like that in a project? I remember Grace and I, when we were in Colorado Springs, we were spreading topsoil and, and I thought, yeah, we can spread the topsoil in our yard. It's just Grace and I, this was BC days before children. And I, 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 uh, I, I was, uh, do you remember that baby? We had, we had topsoil down and you know the day it gets really hot in the middle of the day. Are you aware how hot the sun comes out? It gets really hot and we didn't have any trees. And I just remember having a shovel and a wheelbarrow and moving, rolling around and on the incline and the, you know, the grass was an incline or the dirt rather was an incline. And, and the backyard was way bigger than I realized. And so I'm spreading this and I, I put the thing and it just like covers like, you know, a square foot. And I'm like, oh my word. And at that time, I mean, it becomes serious. I'm praying after after about five hours and I'm saying, Lord, deliver us. We're gonna be spreading topsoil forever and the sun is on our back. This is way more work than I expected. Have you ever had a project like that? They're building the temple, not the temple, the, the city wall, and there's much rubble. And the concern is this, there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. And they say the strength of the laborers is giving out. Now you've gotta have a, just some compassion here for Nehemiah. Let me ask you this question. Who are you when you are exhausted? 
Do people like hanging out around you when you're exhausted? I haven't even talked about you not eating yet. That's like, that's like a perfect storm. But who are you when you're exhausted? Do you let other people know I'm exhausted? Do you become like crabby? You become crabby and irritable and nobody wants to be around you and they have to be around you because they're married to you or they have to be around you because your family or whatever it is. I mean, do you, they're like being held hostage in a relationship with you. They can't get out and you're like, you're just in the house and it's like, I'd rather be on the roof. And you're just like, I don't want to be around you. Who are you when the work takes longer than you expected? when the results don't come as quickly as you thought they would come, and you're looking at the rubble and you're thinking, what did I get myself into? Who are you? Nehemiah is trying to be obedient to God. He's on a God mission. He's trying to do what God wants him to do. And he has so many battles in addition to building this city wall. In chapter five of Nehemiah, you read about his, uh, these taxes that are imposed on, on, on the Jews. And they're unfair. And there's this financial burden that the Jews experience in chapter five. And so much so, they actually sell their children to pay off debt. It's horrible. So in Nehemiah chapter four, you read about people becoming really exhausted. But in chapter five, it impacts their children. Now, parents, you know what I'm talking about. We can go a lot of areas, we can talk about a lot of things, we can talk about a lot of change, but when it impacts your children, it becomes personal, doesn't it? It becomes personal when it becomes, talks about your children. So you can imagine Nehemiah, Nehemiah, he has these people that are now complaining and saying, look what's happening to our kids and this is unfair and, and do you think there's any mama bears that are upset? Absolutely. So in chapter five, you read about this, and in chapter six, it doesn't get better. Look what happens in verse one. When word came to Sanballat, there's that guy, he's still around, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it. Though up to that time, I had not set the doors in the gates. So he's, they've been working with enthusiasm in spite of all the slander from Sanballat and his friends, uh, in spite of that, and even in spite of all their challenges with taxes and, and money and children and this kind of thing, and he's almost done. In fact, he filled in all the gaps of the city wall, but he still has the doors and the gates. And verse two says, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Here they come. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So they're not done. They say, hey, come on over here. I want to talk to you. Verse 3 says, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? So maybe he has a gut feeling. Maybe it's the Spirit of God saying, don't go talk to these guys. They have another motive. They just want to get you to stop working and they, they want to cause you harm. And something inside of DMI says, look, I'm not going to go and meet you. 
I'm busy over here in this project. I don't have time to do this. I'm on a God mission here. I'm, I'm working on this project. No way. And scripture says this in verse four, four times. How many times church? How many times? Four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. Imagine Nehemiah working and he has his crew and they're working hard on this wall and trying to finish this and they're getting interrupted over and over. How many times? Four times. Come down over here. We need to talk to you. I'm not going to go down over there. Come down over. I'm not going to go down. Come down over. I'm not going to go down. He's like, just leave me alone and let me work. You're just a thorn in my side. But something happens in verse five. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aide to meet me with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, here it is, inside this letter it says this, it is reported among the nations and Geshem says it's true. Well, Geshem is part of the posse, so whatever. And Geshem says it is true that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now, this report will get back to the king, referring to Persia. So come, let us meet together. So they're just stirring up this thing, and now they have a whole narrative. They have a whole plot. They have a whole lie that says, oh, you want to make yourself king, Nehemiah. And so it's becoming a political issue now. And verse 8, he says this, I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening you are just making it up out of your head. Isn't that good? You're just making it up in your head. But you think about Nehemiah, he's like, are you serious? You're gonna go there to this level now? I mean, what, can't you just leave us alone? And verse nine, here it is. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. And here's Nehemiah. He's known for these three words. But I prayed. And here was his prayer. Now strengthen my hands. Strengthen my hands. Do you need strength today? Have you ever been exhausted? I'm not talking about after a long day. Have you ever been exhausted? I'm not talking about a whole bunch of hours. I'm talking about your soul is exhausted. Have you ever been exhausted at that level where you're just worn out? You're not sure if you can keep this walking like this. You're not sure if you can stay faithful. You're not sure. You're just exhausted. You're tired on the inside. And you put a smile on, but people don't know how tired you are. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever raise your hand if you've been tired that much? You know what I'm talking about? It's exhausting when we... Uh, we reached about year seven, I think, no longer than that. It was 2012, so we were older. But I remember the church had grown to a significant size, and that during those days, we were close to 500, 600 on weekends. And I remember I was so tired on the inside. I was so tired. My preaching changed. You know, pastors can get tired. It's really hard. Have you ever been in a situation when you're the one who's supposed to have the strength 
but you're so tired, you don't tell anyone how tired you are. You're the one that's supposed to have the strength in the house or in the business or the, whatever it is, but you just don't want to tell anyone how tired you are because you're so tired. And you're ready to throw in the towel. And they don't know how close you are to walking away. They don't know how close you are. The word strengthen here, when, when Nehemiah said, now strengthen my hands, I looked up the word strengthen. It means this, to pre prevail, harden, be strong, become strong, courageous, be firm, grow firm. The Hebrew word is kazak, kazak. And it's a primitive root, to which means to fasten upon or to hold fast, to stick fast. It's this idea of, I'm not going to let go. That's that word, strengthen. I'm not going to let go. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. Things are happening. I'm discouraged. People are saying things, but I'm not going to let go. I'm going to hold on. I want you to hear this. Until you have had the taste of finishing, you will always want to quit when you become exhausted. Some of you, you just move after you get a little tired or things don't go your way. Until you've had the taste of finishing, you will always want to quit when you become exhausted. You know, I'm just going to get real with you guys. The crazy thing about people telling me, wow, Reuben, you know, the average pastor stays at a church for right around four or five years. That's the average pastor. Been here for 17 years, starting with three people in my, our living room, literally, and then it, God, by his grace, has grown it. So people compliment me on my faithfulness, but let me tell you who I was when I wasn't walking with Jesus. In the early days, I can, I'll just talk about my, my, my sports life, um, you know, my career in sports. It was high school and grade school. I would have played NFL if I was like six foot eight and ran a four two or whatever. But anyway, so, uh, <laughs> but in my, my high school years, I was pretty good in football. And I remember the day that I was like, I'm just so tired of the sun. This is in San Antonio, Texas. Like, it just, you know, the sun in full pads in San Antonio is not fun at all. And, it, and we didn't have a field. We were playing on a baseball field. And it, you know, so you get tackle on the baseball diamond and stuff like that. And you, I mean, it was just sand. It was like, this is horrible. And I remember the day I went to my coach and said, coach, I quit. And he was so frustrated with me because I was there starting running back. And he's, I, he said, all right, fine, Ruben, you leave. And I walked all the way home down West Avenue with my pads on and my helmet, walking all the way home. Somebody ended up picking me up and giving me a ride. And then I went back and I said, about a year later, I said, hey, I want to play football again. In high school, I was playing football as a freshman. And then in the sophomore year, I was like, gosh, it's so hot. This sun is coming down and... And, and I'm, I'm, I, I, didn't, I didn't, you know, I wasn't like huge or anything like that. So I was getting pounded by these, you know, 300 pound big old guys. And I'm like, this is not fun. And I said, I quit. After two years in high school. And then I did the same thing again. After a few, a few months, I went back and I said, hey, coach, I want to come back and play again. But this time they didn't let me play again. So I have experience of quitting. 
So when you see this person up here, it's a whole different person. It's because of what Christ has done inside of me. It's be, that's what Jesus does. It's not anything that I get any glory of. It's because of who he is. What does it take to get you to quit? Things don't go your way. Are you walking? If your feelings get hurt, are you walking? If it's inconvenient, are you walking? If the services are too long, are you walking? If we talk about money, are you walking? If we, what, what does it take to get you to quit? It, when you're tired, is that it? Is it time to walk then? Let me tell you, the first thing the immature mind says is, this is ridiculous, I quit. That's the first thing the immature mind says. Ephesians chapter 6 is a beautiful chapter, but there's this whole passage that talks about the armor of God. But verse 10 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord, not in your strength. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So this box right here, this is, this is a picture of a relationship with, with God. And here's what this, this is saying. You be strong in the Lord. You walk like this with God. You stay, you stay with Christ. You abide in Christ. You read God's word. I need to get my Bible here. You read God's word and you stay at this place. And this right here is supernatural strength. It's supernatural strength. I could outlast, I could persevere, I could go 17 years, 18 years, working the ground when I don't see any results because I know God's gonna send the rain and I can be faithful when he walks, I can be faithful when she walks, I can be faithful because I know God has called me to this and I can, this is the strength in the Lord. It's Ephesians 6.10. And here's the danger when you get out of this. You're relying on your own strength. And you're like, oh, I'm just tired. Things aren't going my way. I'm worn out. But over and over in scripture, you see this call for us to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Are you living in it right now? Is this where you're at? Is this what it looks like? I've discovered the enemy's goal is to get you tired. The devil's goal is to get his saints tired. And it doesn't matter how it's done. It could be that you get worn out from sand ballot always pestering you. It could be you have no sleep and you go to bed really late and, you wait and your, your sleeping habits are all off and you're just not at your best. The enemy's goal is just to get you tired where you feel drained and you're worried about things and you're feeling discouraged and you're feeling the pressure of life and you're chasing meaningless things. I want to share with you five truths here. What to do when you feel tired. Here's number one. You have to remember this. God is your source of strength. He's your source of strength. Psalm 73 says it like this. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. It's beautiful. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, 
but God remains the strength of my heart. That's when you're living like right over here and you're like, you know what? Things may not be going my way and I don't understand everything that's happening and I've been hurt. And I've, all this stuff has happened, but God is my strength. I'm going to endure because he is with me. It's gonna be okay. I have a peace because of who I am in. I am in Christ Jesus and I'm living with him and I'm walking with him and he is my rock and he is my shelter and I'm gonna keep going forward. You keep, you, you see this, and I want you to hear this. When you're tired, you can feel like you're alone, even when you're not. When you're tired, you can forget whose hands you are in. Because when you're tired, you're not at your best. Jeremiah says it like this, I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. It's the word of the Lord. He says, I'll refresh the weary. God knows how to refresh. He wants to do that with you. Oswald Chambers, I love this quote. He said this, continually look back to the foundation of your love and affection and remember where your source of power lies. He's saying, remember, you got to stay in that box. You got to stay in the Lord. And look at this last part. He saved and sanctified you to exhaust you. He saved and sanctified you to exhaust you. Whoever said serving God should not cost any time or energy? Whoever said serving God is not going to be exhausting? That's a lie from the devil. I'm just telling you serving God is exhausting. But it's in that exhausting that you learn to rely on God. Your exhaustion is not the barometer. Your exhaustion is not your God. Serving God is exhausting. You pour yourself out and God uses you, whatever it may be, but serving God is exhausting. It's not about your comfort or as long as I have this energy level, I'll do it. No, sometimes God calls you in your exhaustion. Philippians, Paul said it like this, I can do all things through him through him who strengthens me. As long as I'm living right here, I can do it because he is the one working in and through me. Number two is this, you have a promise if you don't give up. And it's in Galatians chapter six, verse nine. You have a promise if you don't give up. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let's not become weary while we're doing good. It's like that farmer who's working the ground and he says, just keep working it because one day by faith, something's going to come out of that ground. Let's not become weary in doing good. Isn't that interesting? You think, why would you become weary in doing good? It's good. But we have a level of energy, a bucket of time and energy, and we could become weary of doing good. Believe it or not, people who serve God in the church can become weary of doing good. This pandemic season, the church has been busy. We've been busy, extremely busy. The thing about this verse is the thing that you might have a hard time with says, for at the proper time, We'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. 
Well, the question is, what's the proper time? And who determines the proper time? Because if we're all honest with ourselves, we're like, you know what? By now, this should happen. I'll do this for this long. I'll stay with it for this long. But this, by now, this should happen. We've had people leave the church because they're thinking, by now, we should have a building. Well, who determines time? It's not according to you, it's according to God. It's not according to you, it's according to God. It's not proper time according to your wisdom. It's proper time in staying true and staying faithful even while you wait. You think Abraham and Sarah thought there was a better proper time than God's proper time? Absolutely. They're like, God, what's going on? I'm close to 100 years old. It wasn't according to his proper time. It was according to God's proper time. Something happens when you wait on the Lord and you, you stay in the Lord. You are the project. You are the one who grows. You are the one who learns dependence. You are the one who learns surrender. You are the one who learns to be submitted to God and let his will be done. You are the project. It's not this, it's this. You're the project. At the proper time. <clears throat> and how sweet it is when the harvest comes when the harvest comes. When you get tired, you can't trust how you feel when you're tired. When, when you get tired, you will feel like you're in danger when you're not, when you're tired. When you get tired, you will feel like you can't trust anyone when you can. When you get tired, you will feel like people hate you who love you. When you're tired, you will feel like people are lashing out at you when they're really trying to help you when you're tired. When, you've, when you're tired, you feel like you're going to crash even though you're safe when you're tired. That's what happens. Jesus was tired in John chapter four. It says now he, he had to go through Samaria, had to go through Samaria. I love that word had, that's a whole message right there. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, Jacob's well was there and Jesus, what does it say? Tired, say tired with me out loud, tired. As he was from the journey, he sat down by the well. It was about noon. So you could just imagine Jesus. He's like, I'm just worn out. And he just like, oh, I'm done. And he sits down by this well. And he's what church? He's tired. But yet in John chapter four, it's one of the most famous stories about this woman who shows up. He's tired, but he sees this woman. He's exhausted, but his love is great. And he says, can you give me some water? And he has this whole conversation with her and he offers her the living water. Remember that? And he says, why don't you go get your husband? And that was like a trick question. She's like, well, which one? 
See, it's the love of God. The love of God is even greater than exhaustion. It's Jesus on the cross and he's exhausted and he looks over to that guy who's on the cross with him and he, the guy says, I'm gonna go to hell. And the guy, Jesus says, you wanna go to paradise with me? It's the same exhaustion that happened after a funeral. John the Baptist dies and, and the, the disciples are worn out and all these people are following Jesus and he's exhausted. And one of the disciples show up and say, hey, we probably should send these people home because they're probably all hungry. And Jesus says, you feed them. And he says, I can't feed them. I've got a few fish and loaves. See, it's in the exhaustion where the miracles happen. It's at that point when you're exhausted and, and, and you stick to it and you say, I'm going to work through this exhaustion because I'm following the will of the Lord. You see things on the other side that you never would have seen if you quit, if you walked away, if you said, I'm done. But there's this incredible spiritual growth and richness and maturity that happens. You got to hear this. Number three, God loves long obedience. He loves long obedience. The Lord showed me this word. It's in Job chapter 17. This is not a real popular verse, but I want you to see it. The righteous keep moving forward and those with clean hands become stronger and stronger. Now, Paul, now Job is talking about integrity. Job is talking about obedience to God. A lot of bad stuff happened to Job that just didn't make any sense. There were conversations that were happening behind the curtain that he didn't know anything about. But this verse right here tells us that your obedience to God will actually give you supernatural strength. Your obedience to God, God will give you strength because you are choosing to be obedient and faithful. Clean hands and a pure heart. Being obedient, even when it doesn't make sense. Obedience to God will give you supernatural divine strength. Obedience to God. Staying obedient. In the life of Pi, this is a movie that came out a while back, but the main character says, says this, I survived the storm. I survived the pestilence. I survived almost starving to death. I survived the tiger. I survived almost losing my mind. When I finally got there, I held on to the boat. I was afraid that I would get that close to deliverance and die in shallow water. So much truth in all that. It's like we, we go through this and we go through this battle and we go through this fire and, and we go through this storm and, and we walk through this tragedy and we walk through this and we're like walking through this and you're like, I'm holding on, I'm holding steadfast, you know, I'm in this and I'm trying to do my best and I'm, I'm doing life like this and, and you're going through all this stuff and eventually you're just exhausted and the fear is, I may drown in shallow water now. I don't know if I have it in me anymore. You have to hear this. Sometimes there are so many back-to-back -back battles in our life that we're in danger of drowning in shallow water. 
It's at that point of exhaustion that you need to hold fast and you need to be even more mindful and say, I'm exhausted. I know my mind is not at a great place. My thoughts are not in a great place. I know I'm not in a good, great place. I know this is a time when I can look at the wrong things. This is a time when I can think of self-destructive thoughts. This is a time when I could wander. And it's at this point, you just need to say, I'm just gonna stay right here now. I'm gonna be really mindful and I'm going to lean on God. Do you find it interesting that Elijah has this crazy knockout UFC match with false prophets? And just a short time after that, he gets an email from this woman named Jezebel and he collapses and runs. He was exhausted. It's the same guy. Number four is this, God's power will meet your weakness. Glory to God. Second Corinthians says this, therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Wow, that's craziness right there. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's that point of exhaustion where you just know, I don't have it in me, and God carries you, and you're like, I never would have known this if I didn't stay faithful. Sometimes God will allow you to see your weaknesses so that you will rely more on his strength. He'll show you them every once in a while. Last thing is this, don't tap out. Don't tap out. Don't tap out. Paul said, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. He's thinking I'm about to die. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Are there any fighters in the house right now? Can you relate to this right here? Any fighters in the house? If you lose your job, you keep the faith. If you have to downsize, you keep the faith. If you have an illness, you're gonna keep the faith. If you lose your child, I'm gonna keep the faith. If you've been betrayed, I'm gonna keep the faith. If I've been hurt, I'm gonna keep the faith. If I fall down, I'm gonna keep the faith. If I'm unfriended, I'm gonna keep the faith. If my prayer hasn't been answered, I'm gonna keep the faith. Any fighters in the house right now, you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? Put your hands together if that's you. Let me know that you're there. You know what I'm talking about. I'm gonna keep the faith. This is a lifelong decision. It's a lifelong decision to live like this in Christ Jesus. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, it's a fight and it's a good fight. It's a good fight. Revelation, the Bible calls unbelievers cowards because it takes much more courage to walk by faith and all the spiritual battles that you have. It takes much more courage to walk by faith, even though 
takes much more courage to say, I'm going to stay in this. I'm going to keep walking by faith. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to stop. <clears throat> See, when, when you get tired, you got to remember this too. When you get tired, you fight battles that don't even matter. When you're tired. Some of you are tired and you're in a battle. And I just want to say to you, what are you doing in that battle for? That's not your battle. And when you're tired, you fight battles that don't matter. But when you, when you say, you know what? I'm going to, <clears throat> I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm gonna keep my eyes on him. Now you're going to be fighting battles that matter under the eyes of God. And God's going to use you. As Oswald Chambers said, he saved you and sanctified you to exhaust you. He wants to use you like a rag doll. He wants to use you like, a, like an, old, an old rag in the garage that's used over and over. That favorite tool in your toolbox, whatever it is, God wants to use you. And there's exhaustion behind it, but it's sweet fatigue. It's sweet fatigue. Where are you at? Some of you, you're just tired. You're just tired. And maybe I just feel like the Lord is preaching to you. <laughs> you're just tired. And I want you to know you have a God who's with you. You have a God who's faithful. And you need to, you need, you need to live this life in Christ. And you need, you need to trust him with everything. If, if you're exhausted, welcome to the club. Welcome. Jesus was tired. It's okay if you're exhausted. It's okay. Do what you need to do. Do what you can to try to take care of your body and your mind. That's important. But it's exhausting doing great things for God. It's exhausting. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and your love. Lord, I, I just praise you. Praise you, God, that you are the God who gives strength. And if that's you, if you just need strength from God, would you just say this right now? Say, God, give me strength. Make that your prayer. God, strengthen my hands. Maybe you need to say this prayer. God, I need to, I need to get it. I need to step inside that box, Lord, that represents you. I need to live in you. So help me to rely on you and your power and your strength, not mine. I, I want to live that life. So have your way. Maybe you need to say this, God, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for my sins. I turn to you with all of my heart and I ask you, Jesus, to be my Lord and Savior. Maybe you need to say, God, I've been looking for strength in just the wrong places and I'm gonna turn to you tonight, today. Thank you, God, for your grace. It's in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, that we say all this. Amen. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church give.